Hey everyone, thanks for joining today. I'm so glad that you chose to listen to this podcast. Let me say a few things before we get started. Um, this is a recording that I did back in the summer when I was invited to the historic downtown Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee uh, to talk about homelessness. And so even though we're talking about homelessness and in particular homelessness in my own county and city, I think there's some things here that we can learn about homelessness no matter where you are. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. End up being a podcast of some kind, so uh, that's why it was taking me a while to set up. Beautiful auditorium. I think it's only about the second or third time I've been in here. Forgot how how beautiful it is in here. Um, I was here. I know for a graduation, Franklin Christian Academy had a graduation here once, um, and then uh, I, there was there was another reason. But anyway, uh, thank you, um, Thomas. Raise your hand, Thomas. Thomas is with me. Thomas is kind of my right hand man, especially during the emergency shelter. Uh, times and uh, we have a group home on the Natchez Street <clears throat> that we've had now for several years and he lives in an apartment behind the group home to help help me keep an eye on the guys and that's that's a full-time job just keeping an eye on the <laughs> eye on the guys but anyway um, I don't know where to start so I'll just kind of start talking and if at any time you got questions stop and ask me and, uh, and some of the questions may pertain to Thomas as well so and so he'll, he'll be able to answer some uh, but for me, um, I'm born and raised in Nashville, been in Franklin since 1989 as a pastor. Uh, for about three and a half years, between 2003 and 2007, I was in Arkansas as a pastor, but then came back here. And uh, when I came back here in 2007 to restart the church that I had pastored previously, they went through some difficulties and, and voted to close, and then I felt God say, come back and start it. Because of some of my own experiences, I've been teaching, so I taught sociology for 14 years at Nashville State uh, Community College. And so some of those things, I thought, if I go back to pastor, um, because as he said, I'd been, quote, preaching since I was 15. Um, you know, I want to do things differently. So I came back with more of a social justice bent uh, to it and restarted the church with that idea. And so then it was probably about seven years ago, the opportunity presented itself for us to use a building small building on Natchez Street um, and we started there was a small church meeting there and we used it on Tuesday nights for our teenagers I kind of had our team meeting then and uh, the church didn't make it that particular church so they folded and the owner was a friend of mine and so we, we took over possession of the building renting it we still don't own it and uh, while I was over my office then was there our church meets in a school so my office had always been at my house or the uh, coffee place which I like to drink coffee um, and so I had an office in that, in that building, and I noticed across the street an empty lot and a couple cars in the lot, and there was always people in the cars. And so I went over there and introduced myself and found out that um, they were actually living in their vehicles, uh, just, you know, less than a mile from here. 
And that was really my first introduction to homelessness in Franklin. I, I would have been like, well, there's nothing homeless in Franklin. And, uh, but then, the way God does, it's kind of like, okay, there's homeless people across the street. What are you going to do about it? You know, and you can't just ignore it. And, uh, and so uh, I just tried to build a relationship with them. Uh, that winter, if not that winter, the following winter, we opened up our community center uh, for people to come in when, when it got really, really cold um, and have some really, really interesting stories uh, about that. Uh, over time, it really became all men and the men who, who and all of them had grown up in Franklin. Um, and uh, they, they got to where they knew if it was really cold, they could come in and, uh, and sleep. Some of them slept outside. Some of them would just sleep wherever they could find a place on a porch or somebody's couch. But a couple of them were really living in what we would call shacks, um, places that really we wouldn't let our, our animals live in. There was one particular place that a guy lived in. Uh, that, you know, I go to Honduras quite a bit, um, got strong relationships down in Honduras, and, and where he was living was really worse than anything I'd seen in Honduras, uh, third, you know, third world conditions. And here, you know, two, basically a block off Main Street. And I put those pictures in the paper, and the mayor would call me, who is this? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you where he is because I don't want you to get rid of him, you know. Um, but that per person is in our group home now. Um, and so I, really... That first group of about eight or ten guys that we started taking care of, um, and they all had addiction problems, um, all of them have been housed um, or, they have, or they have died. So, so that original group of guys uh, that we took care of have, have, uh, have, been, have had somewhere to live now. I remember the first time we helped somebody get in Franklin housing, that was like, man, that was a big deal. You know, got them off the street. And then uh, they've all been moved since then. But anyway, so then that grew in our homeless shelter. We would start, we met in a warehouse for a while. Um, we met at the, um, uh, not the VFW, it's the, what's the place on, uh, over in Mount Hope? Huh? The what? Yeah, the, the military. Um, not not a, like a VFW, but it's something else. American Legion, thank you. Yeah, we <laughs> We met in the we would sleep in the American Legion. Really, what happened was I'm on the board at Community Housing Partnership, and we would put people in hotels. And I went to um, the executive director and said, "Look, we've been housing people. Uh, we've been putting people in an emergency shelter, and what you're paying for one night hotel, we could house people, and I could actually pay people to stay all night with them because um, we had just kind of used volunteers, and that was kind of hard to find a volunteer on a on a Tuesday evening to stay up all night and go to work the next day." And, um, and so community housing bought us our first round of 10 or 12 cots. And, when I, and then when I would have um, shelter, I would build community housing and they would, uh, they would pay our, our, uh, our, our nonprofit. And then I was able to pay people who stayed with them. And, and I tried to get people who were in the community who really needed extra work uh, to be the ones to, uh, to stay. It was a win-win. If I'm going to pay somebody, that's somebody who needs it from that. And so then, a couple years ago, and I don't know if any of you were at the meeting, but every year a newspaper would do an article on me or, or a news station from Nashville would come and do an article because they found it fascinating there's homeless people in Franklin. And we'd get a little bit of push for a little while, but this one year, a couple years ago, there was an article about the homeless situation in Franklin and, you know, God, God's timing. Man, my phone just started going crazy, and it was... 
I don't want to say that people aren't significant, but it was significant people. I mean, when the, when the head legal counsel of Hospital Corporation of America calls you <laughs> and says, my boss, the owner of HCA, read this article and demanded that I get a hold of you, what can we do to help? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, this is a different, this is a different thing. And so we put together a meeting at, uh, at St. Paul's Episcopal. Was anybody at that meeting? Just, okay, Robert. And uh, the pastor, rector at St. Paul said, how many chairs do I need to set up? And I thought, man, we're not going to have but 20 people. So set up 50 just in case. And I, <laughs> there are people everywhere. I mean, the place was packed. There were no seats. And it was just unbelievable. And so out of that then sprang Williamson County Homeless Alliance. Um, we had been doing it under our church's nonprofit. My church is Franklin Community Development. Our nonprofit is Franklin Community. Our church, my church is Franklin Community Church, and the nonprofit is Franklin Community Development. And we've been taking care of everything underneath that. But I knew that this was, in order for this to really take off, it needed to be its own board, own nonprofit. And, and we started, the reason we started a new nonprofit was because there was no nonprofit anywhere in Franklin, Williamson County whose sole responsibility was taking care of homelessness. Uh, you, you had Grace Works, you had other, you know, community housing, Franklin Housing Authority. You had different groups who would do something with homelessness, but nobody, there was no group that that was just their single focus. And so we set up the nonprofit and people who would give, it really, people started giving to that and we were just collecting money because the goal was to have a, uh, was to have a permanent shelter in Franklin somewhere. And so Franklin Community Development has continued to do the emergency shelter, but everybody thinks it's Williamson County Homeless Alliance, and I even made sure that everybody thought, I, you know, no, this is Williamson County Homeless Alliance, but everything was running through the community development because we had a track record, we were getting government grants, and I had supporters really all over the country who would give the Franklin Community Development, and so that was the avenue uh, that we used <clears throat> uh, for that. Um, and so then, after that meeting in February at St. Paul's, um, First United Methodist stepped up and said, we want to help. How can we help? And I had always wanted to do shelter during the summer because the heat can be just as bad as the cold uh, on somebody who's living outside. And so I said, well, I've always wanted to try it over the summer, so why don't we set up something and we'll start, you know. And so we came up with that rule of thumb. If it's 90 or above or 32 or below, we would have emergency shelter. And we had, um, we started with Franklin First United Methodist and then the Church of West uh, Franklin uh, came on board and we used those two churches mainly and then there was a couple other churches who said we want to be overflow. And so um, from 2019, maybe 2018, I don't remember now, until COVID, that's how we operated the emergency shelter. Uh, if it was 32 below or 90 and below, above, and Thomas stayed every single night. <laughs> you didn't miss one, did you? And it was, it was probably getting close. It was somewhere between 100 and 200 at that night, at that point. Uh, my estimate was if we did summer and winter, there would be 100 nights a year uh, that, we would, um, that we would have shelter. And it would go anywhere from maybe four people to 15 people. It really was kind of up in the air. You never knew exactly what you were going to have. Then COVID hit. And, uh, oh, no, what are we going to do now? Because the churches closed down. Uh, emergency management contacted me, uh, mainly through Vonna Wilson, one of the pastors at First Methodist. Um, she set it up for the emergency management to contact me when we had the shelter in place. And, uh, and they were, emergency management was wondering what to do because apparently in the small print, <laughs> there's something that says, 
if your government issues a shelter in place, then you have to provide shelter for those who don't have shelter. And, uh, and I said, so uh, I said, well, let's use hotels. I called a hotel. We worked out a deal. Um, and, uh, and, and I said, and we'll, Franklin Community Development will take care of it. And the emergency manager says, well, we think eventually you'll get reimbursed for it, but it could take a couple years. I said, no problem. We'll take care of it. And I put the word out through our network, mainly in Franklin at that time, told him and said, I need $10,000 because I thought it would just be a couple weeks. <laughs> The shutdown and this community immediately they started responding um, because you know you could give online and all that and it was it was really quite fun because I'd hear my phone ding got another email and this much money this much money this much and within 48 hours I think we were up to about fifteen thousand dollars that wasn't promised I mean it was <laughs> given and I thought oh no now what I'm going to do I got to give this money back because I said it's for emergency management how am I going to I mean it's for emergency shelter how am I going to contact these people. But, you know, it just kept going on and on and on and on and on. To make a long story short, this is how God works. Um, during that six-week period of the shelter-in-place, um, it cost us $65,000 um, um, to house people in a hotel. It was 50 different people. On any given night, we had about 28 rooms at this hotel, averaged about 32, 33 people. We fed them one meal a day. It cost us $65,000, and we raised $67,000. And so then when the government reimbursed me the $65,000, they're like, wow, ain't God good, you, you know, that way? So it helped continue the process. And then the government has started throwing money at COVID, and so we've continued to use um, um, hotels because that's, that's, they were just given that. Our, our community development for three years now has gotten a, a grant from HUD that's around $400,000 that helps us put people in, in permanent housing. That's community development. And so we had a track record and then these other emergency um, stuff came. The governor, Governor Lee's uh, 10 care stimulus for nonprofits, we got, I think it was around 60,000 or something like that, that we could use with rent utilities and, um, and to put people in hotels. Um, and so churches started opening back up um, and, and your church opened back up because then I had this bright idea that at, behind our community center, I know I'm, I'm kind of rambling right now, but behind our group home, we put in a shower and a washroom. And so when people would come to our community, to our emergency shelter, we would say, you can come over here and wash your clothes. And then if we're not open, you can come by and take a shower uh, behind, behind that, that place. And so with that thought, then it was like, well, I'm just going to start reaching out to churches and tell them I don't need a shower. If, you, if your facility doesn't have a shower, we don't need it. We just need a place to stay. Um, and then they can take showers uh, somewhere else. And we'll even, with COVID, we'll even feed them off campus. And so my, where I'm at right now, as far as this emergency shelter goes, is my goal is that eventually we will have 31 churches who will commit to one night a month. And if 31 churches would commit to one night a month, then we could have emergency shelter 365 days a year uh, from that. And so we wouldn't have to worry about temperature. The people who need shelter would know they're going to have it tonight. We could meet at our community center, have a meal together, and then go to whatever church uh, that is open that night. Uh, and really, we provide the mattresses, the, the beds, the monitors, basically just space. And then 7 o'clock the next morning, we would leave and go back to the community center and have a, maybe a light breakfast or something. That's the eventual goal. And so I was moving toward that. Your church had stepped up, and we were still operating under the, the, the 9032 thing, but your church stepped up. 
Uh, we tried to start a couple times, but then there would be a COVID surge. <laughs> and so it just got, it got really, really messy. And you always wonder what God is doing uh, during this. And so that brings me up to the present. And I called Robert um, yesterday, wasn't it, to let him know, hey, the, the direction may change a little bit about what I want to talk about. Because after a couple of years of the Williams County Homeless Alliance just kind of sitting there, which, by the way, back September, this coming September will be two years ago, um, Rhonda Kemp, her husband, Dr. Kemp, he's one of the dentists in town, and, I, and she's given me permission to use her name. I had never met her before. And she called through a friend wanted to meet with me. And I met with her one time, and, uh, and she wrote a check for $250,000 uh, for a shelter. You know, it's like, wow. What was really funny was I went to that meeting thinking, okay, I want to ask for $10,000. I need $10,000. <laughs> That's what I'm going to ask for. And, uh, and that money's just kind of been sitting in the bank account um, uh, waiting for something. And so um, back last December, I got word of an, another possibility of a grant um, that could be significant. And I went back and forth on do I, do I apply for this grant under Williamson County Homeless Alliance or Franklin Community Development. I was told if you do it under Franklin Community Development, I guarantee you'll get it. If you do it under the Homeless Alliance, I don't know. You know, your new organization never asked for a grant. And I went back and forth in prayer and talked to my elders at the church and decided I want to sink or swim with the Homeless Alliance with this grant. I'm going to, I'm going to apply for it under the Homeless Alliance instead of um, community development. And I don't know how to write grants, by the way, but God has shown me favor for some reason. And so I had two weeks to put this grant together, um, which is how the government works. It seemed like they just tell you, <laughs> do it now. And... Uh, and so I blocked off everything and for two weeks worked on this grant. It ended up being, with all the supporting documents, about 250 pages um, of grant plus the documents and so forth. And sent that out. And part of it was, okay, if we get this grant, we need a place. Um, and so um, as of last, well, April the 5th, April the 5th, the Homeless Alliance bought a house. Um, it's on West Mead Boulevard, uh, 599 West Mead Boulevard. It'll be uh, a temporary group home, temporary emergency shelter group home. People will go there for uh, three months. And, uh, and then we applied for the grant to, to ask for supporting documents. And so um, we received the grant, and it was a, it's a million dollars, uh, which is really amazing. Now, it's, it's reimbursable, so eventually you'll hear more about this where, you know, you can get $2 for your $1. we got to have money for cash flow, right? But then everything we spend will get reimbursed, and so it'll be like that I spent 65000 I raised $67,000, spent sixty five, and then got reimbursed for sixty five. That makes sense. You follow my math? So now it'll be the same way, but it, it would be a million dollars. And so a person who gives, it's almost like a matching gift, basically. If you give a dollar, here's a, a grant that's going to cover a dollar up to a million dollars. Um, <clears throat> and so... Um, and so that puts the emergency, and also part of that grant is more money for hotels. Uh, that's part of the grant. About $50,000, I think, of it is, is, uh, uh, is for hotels. And so we're putting people in hotels again at, at a quicker rate, but now we'll have case managers who can go and actually work with them to try to help. Out of the emergency shelter, if we identify eight people who uh, seem to be ready to take that next step, we can put them in the house um, and really surround them with with programming and case management, 
with the goal that in three months' time they could move into our housing program back to Franklin Community Development again, or maybe they're on their feet to get their own uh, to get their own place. And so, in my mind, here's <clears throat> here's what we need in Franklin, any community to address homelessness. You got to have four things. You have to have emergency shelter. There has to be a place for people who just come. And even if they're an alcoholic and a drug addict and have no desire to change, it's safer if they're in a shelter than if they're on the street. You know, the police have better things to do than keep arresting the same person over and over and over again because they're trespassing. Um, and so even somebody like that, to come in, they're safe. They'll, they'll get a bed and a meal, and the next day they have to go back out. Uh, but out of that group... You know, we can house some or find those who really want to take that next step um, and put them in the transitional home. Um, and so you got to have emergency shelter, transitional housing, group homes, and permanent housing. That's really what you need. And we've come at this backwards because we've got three out of the four. The only thing that we really don't have is the emergency shelter uh, component. Uh, but we have a group home. Now we're going to open up another group home. Uh, we have the ability to help uh, with housing and utilities. We have placed um, right at 45 uh, families, and a family is defined as a single person or a family, but we've placed right at 45 families who were homeless into housing. And um, at the end of the year, when we can't help anymore, that's probably the majority of them still have housing. There are some who fall back out because of mainly addiction problems. But, <clears throat> um, but we got three of the four components, and if we can get to 31 churches, which I'm estimating based on what I can guess with what our organization has and other organizations have that, you know, by January, everybody may be out of funds unless uh, the government releases some more. But if, if everybody gets their, their shots, hopefully by the end of the end of the summer, we'll be coming out of COVID and uh, not have to uh, worry about that. So my in my mind, I'm thinking we have between now and January the 1st, to get as many churches as possible who will step up and say, you know what, we'll house people one night a month or a couple nights a month or whatever it may be. We'll, we'll do the 90 degrees, 32 degrees um, until we get enough to do year-round. Um, but um, but, um, uh, but that, that's kind of where I'm thinking right now. Between now and January, there's, there's money out there uh, to keep people in uh, hotels. Um, but that money could run out quickly because I did spend... 65,000 in six weeks, and so I'm thinking 50,000, and that might get me to the end of the year. Plus, there's a couple of other organizations who have similar grants uh, for that. Our goal at the Homeless Alliance is not to warehouse people. It is not the Nashville Rescue Mission model. That model was good, and it served its purpose back in the day. And Nashville Rescue Mission, they're friends of mine, and they got wonderful, outstanding programs. But that basic homeless shelter where they've got hundreds of people um, you know, who, and a lot of them have addiction problems. That's not what we're talking about. We're wanting to have a holistic approach uh, uh, to this, and, and I think that's one reason why maybe God has allowed us to go backwards and start with permanent housing and then move, our, instead of starting with the emergency shelter, we've gone the other way. So if we could get 31 churches and started doing shelter 365 days a year, surrounded with all these other programs that I've talked about, Hopefully then we would have a track record so when it comes time to say we need this building over here so we can have 30 emergency beds, um, then people won't freak out because we've proven that our goal is not to warehouse people. Our goal is to move people from homelessness into housing. And uh, HUD has some terminology for that. HUD wants you to be able to take somebody from home. HUD is human uh, housing, urban development. 
Um, <clears throat> HUD wants you to take people from homelessness to housing in 90 days, three months. And if, you, if, a community has a, if a community has a plan in place where when somebody presents themselves as homeless, you move them from homeless to housing on a consistent basis in 90 days, um, it doesn't mean you've gotten rid of all the homeless, but if somebody says they're homeless and, you, and you're able to move the majority of those people from homeless to housing in 90 days, well, then your city could be uh, ranked at what they call functional zero when it comes to home homelessness. And I would think that's something the whole city would like to get behind, to say that Franklin as a city has reached functional zero uh, when it comes to homelessness. Isn't that a goal worth, worth achieving? You know, if you have this citywide plan that's able... Uh, that's able to do that. And so that's one reason why the transition home is set at three months, 90 days, to try to get them um, to the next step of their, of their life. Matthew 25 is my, one of my favorite passages, the parable of the sheep and the goats. That's what we're doing, taking care of people who Jesus said to take care of. I was talking with somebody today and reminded them that, as far as I know, the only place in Scripture where Jesus said, this is who's in, this is who's out, had everything to do with taking care of the marginalized and nothing to do with how often you went to church and how much you tithed and, and uh, what you believed. Jesus said, if you do this, you're in. If you don't do this, you're out. I mean, that's the basic, you know, you're a sheep or a goat. And it had everything to do with taking care of the marginalized in your community. That's, that's what it had to do with. It hadn't had to do with anything else from that. But anyway, so I don't know if that's what you wanted me to share tonight. Um, but I can answer any questions. Um, I'm considered, for, for lack of a better word, people look at me and say, well, if you want to know something about the homelessness in Franklin, ask Kevin. And I say, well, I don't really know. But here's, because what I'm talking about is just in the city limits. We have no idea, no idea how bad homelessness is out in the county. No one knows. Rural homelessness is a whole other ballgame. We have people, I do know we have people in this county who don't have indoor plumbing, <laughs> Um, and so if you're living in a house with no indoor plumbing and no electricity, you may have a roof over your head, but you're homeless. I mean, you know, what else do you have? And in Williamson County, we have that right now as I speak. Um, but nobody really knows what the numbers are because our county is huge. And when you get out in the rural area, people are living out in the woods, and, and uh, quite honestly, they may not want to be bothered. Uh, but they're homeless, and somebody needs to know where they are and, uh, and be in touch with them in case they do need something. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah, thank you for reminding. Yeah, it, once the it, once the house is up, which um, we're trying to get through the building permit process right now, but I'm I'm hoping because it's got to be remodeled. But I'm hoping the house on West Mead will be up and running July at the latest. Um, HUD wants it running quickly, so uh, we can't dilly dally around from that. But there there's going to be opportunities, um, all kinds of opportunities, anything from mentorship to just preparing meals. Um, you know, I mean, the, again, the idea, I mean, if I had seven churches who they would do supper one night a week that would take care of the the supper for the people who are there uh, on the limited basis um there there would be other opportunities to to um volunteer around that time there we're, we're hoping to have at least a demo day one demo day uh, but because we're under a tight time frame from hud to get the house up and running uh, once the demo's done and the, and the remodeling starts that's really a contractor get in there get it done we got the money to pay you 
So get it. So there's not really a, won't be any a volunteer opportunity to go in there and and rebuild, but to go in there and rip out carpet and paneling one Saturday. Uh, when we were hoping to do something like that to get people involved. But then once the house is open, the mentoring, uh, providing the meals, um, cutting grass, if you want to volunteer for that. Um, I'm hoping to buy a really nice riding lawnmower here. I got the money for it. so <laughs> Here's the situation. This is hard for me as a pastor to get used to. Okay, the grant is a million dollars. I have to spend a half a million dollars by October 31st. Because they're going to be watching, and, and my understanding is, if I don't spend that much, if I spend four hundred thousand, well, then they're taking a hundred thousand, and now I've only got five hundred thousand after that. I mean, they're you know, they're if, totally opposite of how churches think. If you don't spend it, you lose it. You know, t so totally, <laughs> totally opposite. So I'm, I'm hoping to buy a really, really nice riding lawnmower. So if you want to ride a really nice riding lawnmower, let me know, and you can come, you can come cut it for free, and we'll have you an air conditioned right now, not not air conditioned. <laughs> But as a pastor, that's really hard to get my mind around. I've got to spend this money. Uh, the last budget, one, one grant I had, I, I came up $50,000 short, didn't have, and I had a month to spend it. And, man, we got two of the nicest copiers <laughs> you'd ever want it won't. We, they're, they're really nice. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Have oh, I didn't know we were on Zoom. Yeah, yes, you're being Zoom. Hey, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that question was about more volunteer opportunities. Um, and when the house, you know, between now and January, when I'm thinking the emergency shelter may kick back into place that we need. Um, now, you know, if you want to volunteer to help with meals at the hotel, we could probably do that, but we haven't, we haven't provided meals in the hotel for a while. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So the question was about how many homeless are there in the in Franklin and the county, um, and I have been quoted on this for a long time, um, and I mean the, the press has picked up on this, and I think this is pretty accurate, based on my own experience, so anecdotal evidence, based on what the city schools will tell you, how many students are homeless in the city schools, based on what the county schools will tell you, how many homeless are in the county. And of course, a student is not homeless by themselves. There's at least going to be a parent, you know. Uh, or a guardian in there, based on numbers that I've received from Grace Works and community housing, and then my own thing, I have put the homeless countywide now, uh, somewhere between 750 to 1,000. That's probably low, and the reason I say it's low is if you use Nashville as an example, the official homeless number in Nashville is like 6,000 homeless, but you talk to anybody in Nashville who's working with homelessness, they'll put it somewhere between 25 and 30,000 homeless. Um, and so if, the, if my best guess is 750 to 1,000, I think that's on the conservative side of that. That would be countywide, and, and there you know, would be at least half of that um, in the city. And one stat that, that's true across the country is 85% of people who are homeless are homeless in the cities in which they live. Um, and so there's only 15% of homelessness who move. So the idea, if you build it and you will come, is not factual. Um, and, and Nashville will tell you, the director of the, of the rescue mission will tell you, 85% of the people who they serve every year, and they serve thousands, 85% are people who, who born and raised and live in Davidson County from that. And so, um, and so the people, 
that we house. Now there are some, I mean, because we put people in hotels and the police call me, there are stranded travelers, you know, and they'll stay for one night and then they're on their way. Uh, so, so you do have some of that, but the majority of people who we've taken care of um, are born and raised in, uh, in Franklin. At our group home now, we've probably had about 20 different men who live there because they can stay as long as they want to. It's not a limited thing. As long as they're doing what they're supposed to be doing or trying to do what they're supposed to be doing, uh, they can stay. And out of those 20 men, probably 18 of them have been lifelong Franklin residents, and all of them were homeless at one time or another. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's his car, so I'm not worried about it. Yeah, there, there used to be one that would pop up periodically by the interstate, um, just right out 96. But with some of the new development, when they redid the gas stations, and then now they got those apartments by Home Depot, um, they, they, I haven't seen them there in a while. There's, a home, there's homeless camps that pop up on I-40 out in Fairview quite often. Um, and, uh, and pretty much any time you want to go out there, there's going to be people who are living in, in tents out in the just close to the interstate, and then they use the truck stop for showers and, and those kind of things. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, and I think if, you, if you're close to the interstate and you're in a more rural area, anywhere in the county or a highway, you're going you're gonna to have that. Um, so, so, yes, one of the guys who live in the apartments behind our group home was, was kind of like that, lived kind of like in a tent city by himself, but in a, in, in a tent kind of place. Um, he would move around a little bit, but he's, he's in our house now. So... So yeah, it's nowhere near like Nashville. The one at the, the one at what? Maybe I shouldn't, anybody from Fairview? <laughs> um, every year, HUD has this, what they call point in time count, where you're supposed to go out on like the coldest night of the year. They designate one year, one day, usually in February. And you're supposed to go out in your county and count the homeless, you know, and, and they're either on the streets or they're in shelters and so forth. And so you go count the homeless. Um, there was a tent city out <clears throat> in Fairview, uh, close to the truck stops out there, and uh, that I was trying to get out there and didn't make it out there. Um, I mean, I, I was trying for weeks because I was told that it had grown to about 25 or 30 people. Um, then the week before the point in time count, uh, the police, Fairview police went out and shut it down, got rid of everybody, and then the Franklin, the Fairview police reported zero homelessness in Fairview, you know. I reported, and the other side of that story is I reported uh, on that night, I reported um, close to 30 on that one night, 30 homelessness, and the city called me into question. They didn't believe me. And I said, well, here's, here it is. <laughs> Go with me tonight, and I'll show you where they are. But, uh, so they don't want to believe it. Yes? I have a question from Zoom. This is Ramona. How many churches are involved in the emergency housing program now? Right now there's probably about seven and a, and a Christian school. Who, who said they, they wanted to help. Um, let me see. Of course, you count my church. So Franklin Community Development, you guys have said you want to help. Um, First United Methodist, um, First Pres out by the golf course, um, Church of West Franklin, Fourth Avenue, Church of Christ. How many is that? I'm up to five. Okay. Um, and, uh, and Franklin Christian Academy has really said there's no reason why you couldn't come out and stay in our facility on Saturday night because nobody's here Sunday, you know. And so, uh, 
Oh, and Brentwood Baptist has Brentwood Baptist has offered, and Brentwood Baptist has put Franklin Community Development in their budget this year. So that would be that with the school that's right at seven from that. Oh no, Christ Community, Christ Community Church also. So, so that puts us at eight. Yes, yes, sir. Could you help us understand a little bit about what creates and causes the homeless? Whatever the numbers are. Yeah. Okay. All right. The, the question, I'm sorry I didn't repeat that one question, but the question is really what causes homelessness, right? Is that in a nutshell what you're asking? Uh, there, there's no one thing. I mean, everybody who's homeless, is there's a different story. Now, you can find some commonalities, obviously, uh, alcohol and drug addiction, uh, but yet it's almost chicken egg, which came first, homelessness or the addiction? Because, I mean, if you're homeless, um, if you're homeless after a while, the only way you're going to get to sleep at night sometimes is by drinking yourself till you go to sleep or taking drugs because you're just not going to get any rest. You're scared, you're, you know, and so then you become an addict. Um, the stats say about half homeless people have mental problems. Um, but what that means is 50% have actually been diagnosed with some type of mental disorder. Um, I, I tell people it's 100%. You, you've been homeless for a week, you're going to have PTSD uh, from that point, just the trauma. And so there's, but again, which came first, the homelessness or the mental problems? And so then once you get in that pattern, then it, it's, it's, it becomes increasingly difficult to get out of it. Um, you know, there, and just as a couple of, as an example, there's, there's a guy here in Franklin, um, Mike. Do you remember, did you know Mike? He lived in, his, he lived in his truck and just read all the time, white guy. Um, Stefan, Stefan would know him. Uh, but Mike, um, was a mid-level -manag mid manager in, in, in Nashville. And um, he, walked, he went into work one day and he got his pink slip. The, the company went bankrupt and he lost his retirement and everything. And so he was str struggling around trying to find another job. And he, he found another job that was coming home one night. He lived out Paintsville Road at the time and a, a child ran out in front of him and he ran over him and killed him. So then that just put him off the deep end. He just, he just couldn't take it anymore. So he became homeless, lived in his truck, was not an addict, did not drink, did not take drugs. He smoked, but that's was not an addict. Um, and so he started staying in our shelter, and, and I would end up, he, his truck would run, so he would oftentimes go get people for me because I trusted him. And, and at the time he was staying in our shelter, he worked part-time for Franklin, for Williamson County Parks and Recs Department. So he worked for the county and was homeless. Um, and he finally got a place to stay uh, out in the rural areas, and uh, about two years later, this is really a sad story, but about two years later after that, his house caught on fire and he died in the fire after he was trying to, but no fault of his own, got a pink slip and then when he, when he ran over that child, he just, he, he just couldn't take it anymore. There's another guy who who's finally got a place to live. I'm so excited about this. 
Um, but he, he was an Army veteran, Vietnam veteran. Um, but he was an Army photographer during the Vietnam War. And he told me, he said, I was oftentimes the first one who came in after a firefight when had to document everything. So there's no telling what this guy's seen. There's no telling. And then he had some jobs after the war, photography and so forth, but obviously he had PTSD. And he lived in his car here in Franklin inside the city limits for 12 years. Lived in his car, would not come in no matter how cold it got. In fact, he told me he liked it in his car when it got cold because when people gave him food, the food would stay longer. He could actually go to the store and buy milk and leave it in his car during the winter. Um, but I, I have knocked on his car, I've knocked on his window at 10 o'clock at night, single digits outside. Hey, you want to come to the shelter? No, Pastor, I'm fine. Thank you for asking, but I'm, but, but I'm fine. And he just about four months ago uh, got into a Section 8 voucher and got into a place here in Franklin uh, to live. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. I was really nervous that he was going to die. But So you can't, the, long, the, the short answer is you can't answer that in one. There is a lot of drug and alcohol problems. Without a doubt, there, there's a lot of that, and and uh, but here's the issue with that: if if a, some if a homeless person who's an addict came to me right now and said, Kevin, I want to get help, I'd have to say, okay, let me make a phone call, and I'll probably be a month before I get you in, because you know you don't they don't have insurance, um, and more than likely, they're, a month later, they're not going to they're not going to want to help anymore, because I, I have nowhere to put them until. You know, I can get them in. And uh, one guy in town finally asked for help, and I raised $20,000 to keep him sober for 100 days. Yeah. Yeah, 100 days. But it cost $20,000 to get him through a program. And then he relapsed after 100 days. But those were really, really good 100 days. <laughs> Is there a vocational program for those who are serving? Not right now, no. Um, no, I mean we could. We, there's some voc, there's some vocational programs around the county that we can send people to, uh, but right now, no. We we will help them look for jobs, but as far as any type of vocational training, we're hoping to have that. But as of right now, no. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's rehabilitation. Now that we have this grant where we can actually provide some good case management, there will be, you know, do, do you need to go to rehab? Or, um, like, for example, Tony Owens. Does everybody know who Tony Owens is? He started Educare. He's a wonderful social worker and addiction counselor. Well, he's on board and, and is going to train all of our staff. And so, you know, that, that's just a, a, boy, that's a huge, huge thing. And uh, so we have that connection. So if somebody needs addiction, uh, but maybe not, they don't have to go somewhere. We can provide that. Um, and again, with, with job training, I think that will come now with this. Uh, but the idea is these are human beings, um, and, and we want to help them uh, as much as they want to help. I mean, you can't do anything with somebody that, that they don't want to do it for themselves. But they, if they won't help, the goal is to be able to get you to be a contributing member of society where you're self-supporting and living on your own. And because the problem here, although it's big, it's not too big, we can't do it. If we all come together, then we, we, can, we can turn this thing around. I, I had a conversation with Mayor Moore about 10 years ago and told him, or eight years, I don't know how long he's been mayor, but told him every problem a major city has, we have in Franklin, but it's small. 
uh, and we could come together and solve these problems, but if we don't, in 10 years we'll be so far behind the curve we'll never catch up, which is what you have in Nashville. The problem is so big, you're never going to get in front of it. You know, it really is the starfish approach. We helped this one, now there's a thousand more out there. And, and, and that's, a good, that's good that they're doing that. But we have an opportunity in Franklin to be ahead of this and, uh, and to have something that will, that will help instead of um, uh, be a hindrance. And so by holistic, we mean everything from spiritual to mental to addiction to, my goal is to have a trust fund. You know, if I could have, let's say a million dollars in a trust fund, um, so that if, if somebody came to me today and they're an alcoholic and they say, I won't help. Well, if they're an alcoholic, the first thing you have to do is you have to get them into a program. Before you can get them to the program, they gotta go, you got to go to detox. Okay, the average detox is like $8,000 a week to detox. Um, and so if somebody, if, if I had a trust fund, if you're following me, a trust fund set up, and now somebody says, I won't help, because here's the thing, nobody has room unless you've got money. <laughs> You know, and so, okay, I can call this detox. Hey, we got a guy, we'll pay you $8,000 up front right now. I, I guarantee you they'll have room for him, you know, at that point. And then you got to have another four or $5,000 to get them into a 30-day program. And then another four or $5,000, and after a while, it adds up to, to $20,000 um, for 100 days, <laughs> you know. It, it, and so you got to take care of that issue. There, there was a situation with a lady here in town one time who, just for lack of a better word, she's a drug addict, but she's also a local prostitute. And she came to me and said, I won't help right now. And I did my back, I called everybody I could think of in Nashville, everybody, to get her um, somewhere. And it took me about a week. And I finally got her somewhere, and she was willing to go. And uh, she didn't stay too long because her handler wanted her out of there. And uh, that's where Thomas and I became really, really good friends because I got word that, like a year later, Thomas told me that the handler was after me. And he went to the guy and said, you leave Pastor Kevin alone. So I owe Thomas my life, at least, <laughs> at least on one occasion uh, from that. That's here in Franklin, folks. And we're not talking Nashville. That, that's here in Franklin. Yes, I do have a question. Uh, I have heard. No, not really. Now, I, now I'll tell you, like, there's a guy named Jeff, and I can talk about Jeff because Jeff was a good friend of mine, and he, he passed away um, about a year and a half ago. Now, Jeff's the one who I raised $20,000 for. Uh, I think every person who's homeless would rather not be homeless. But then because of, of various reasons they can't get out of it, or when they finally see that there's a possibility they're going to get out of it, it scares them to death. Because they don't really know how to, like Jeff was lived on the streets in Franklin for about 13 years. Um, and, um, you know, he, we had a plan in place. All he wanted was his own place so he could get a kitty cat. And he was going to be one of the first persons to move into um, the senior citizen thing behind Jim Warren Park uh, over off Cherokee. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was within four months of being able to move in when he, when he relapsed. And then, uh, you know, six months later he, he died. Uh, after that, but Jeff would would rather not be homeless. But the demons and the addictions are so strong that it's just going to pull him back every time. Now I do think there may be some people, like you know, you go to Nashville. I got friends who a lot of friends who work in Nashville at like the tent cities, and, and those tent cities are kind of self-governed. You know, like they'll they'll elect a mayor and 
and they watch out for one another. I think there is a little bit of, of escapism for some that, you know, I, I can't handle mainstream life. I want this kind of life. But they would all rather have their own apartment instead of a tent, you know, if, if that makes any sense. They don't they want to live life maybe by their own rules. But, um, you know, that the number of people who are like that is a, that is common thinking, but that would be a small number of um, of, of people. And if you think that way, in my way of thinking, if you think that way, it's obvious you've got a mental illness. They have, yes. Yeah, in the past I've been able to send people there and they've, and they've taken care of them. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, there, there's more homelessness, and the, and the homelessness is becoming more and more families. Because what you do have, and thank you for asking that question, the question was, has, has, has homelessness increased because of COVID, right? Is that basically the question? Um, and so you have people who they lost their job, and then, they, and then um, they got behind on their rent. And regardless of what the moratorium says, um, there are people who are being evicted. Um, and so they get evicted, and now they're living in their cars for the very first time. Um, you know, so they, they don't have a history. They don't have any, any way. Of, they don't even know how to navigate. Uh, you know, what, what do I do? How do I, you know, people who've been homeless for a while, their survival skills are pretty incredible sometimes. Um, but when you're brand new at it, you don't have any idea and you're afraid, you're scared. Um, and, uh, and so there's more and more people who are living in their cars. There's more and more people. There's more and more families. There's more and more people who are working, but they're homeless. I had, I had a manager of Burger King who, who stayed in our shelter uh, for about a year when it got cold. And he was a manager, but, but for whatever reason, he, was, he couldn't afford to live in Franklin. And so he, he lived in his car, um, you know, from that. But because of COVID, there's more and more now. And because of some other things, like there's Booker Trailer Park down on West Main, who they were all supposed to be out by... Uh, April 1st, they've extended it. I think they've extended it on into May, I think, um, from that. But you've got, what, maybe 30 or 40 trailers in Booker Trail. And so you've got maybe 100 people who um, they were told you got till the 1st of April to move your trailer and get out of here. And I, I've heard for years a rumor that the main trailer park in Franklin has been sold. Uh, I haven't verified that yet, but I've heard. From, and then I heard from some people that they've given the main, and there's, there may be 4,000 people in the one trailer park. Uh, back uh, down West Main, West Mead Boulevard. And I've heard that they've given them a two-year notice. Everybody's got to be out in two years. So those people are going to be homeless because they're not going to be able to live in Franklin anymore. So they'll either move away um, or they're, you know, affordable housing is a huge deal. I tell, since you brought I tell people this. Next time you're at the grocery store or you're at the restaurant and you get really upset because they don't have enough workers, okay, like we've all been there, right? Do not call the manager and complain. Call your alderman. It's an affordable housing problem. It's not a management problem. Call your alderman and say, you guys got to do something about this. I'm tired of, of, of waiting an hour at Chili's on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> you know, with nobody. It's not a management problem. It's an affordable housing problem. Yeah. The average one bedroom in Franklin is 1200 a month. 
So who, who can, nowhere in the United States can, you, can a person rent an apartment working 40 hours a week at minimum wage. There's not a single county in the United States where that's possible. So, that, you know, so there's some economic issues as well as just some addictions and, and as somebody said bad luck, which sometimes happens. I mean, you know, the, I, I, every homeless person has a story. I, there's a homeless guy who spent many, many years as a meat cutter, uh, had a good pension, um, but walked in, saw his best friend sleeping with his wife, pushed him over the edge, became an alcoholic, never recovered. Homeless until about maybe four years ago he finally got a place to live, but was homeless and stayed in our shelter uh, for a while. So there's all kinds of reasons for that. Somebody over here? Did you have a question? No, okay. Yeah, we have to address it. And not only that, because I've had two people running from Alderman contact me lately to want to know what I think. <laughs> and I'm more than glad to tell them. Um, <clears throat> but in Franklin, when they talk about affordable housing, they're still talking about $250,000 to $300,000 houses. That's affordable housing. There is no one in Franklin except me trying to yell about low-income housing. It's just, it's just no one wants to talk about low-income housing. And, uh, and we've got a large segment of our population that that's where they're that's where they're at. They're, they're at low income and they're lifelong residents. Um, if they're African American, there's a good chance they go back to uh, slavery uh, and they've been here with their family ever since. And from a white privilege perspective, it's well, you know, you just move to where you can afford to live. But it's not that simple when this is the only place you've ever known for generations. And going to Nashville is a big deal because you just don't ever, ever go anywhere. You know, yes, sir. Does, does your program focus at all on uh, homeless kids in school? I mean, we we read mm -hmm. here every day that you know, there's a certain number of homeless kids in the school. Yeah. Whether it's down there or outside the state. Yeah, it's kind of the the question is: Is our program focused on the homeless children who are in the schools? That's the question. Um, and it, to be honest, it's kind of a yes or no. It started with with the men uh, in, in the community, and, and it's kind of grown from that, um, and it's almost unintentional. I mean, people will call and say, you know, I've got someone here who's single mom, they're living in their vehicle, they got two kids, do you have anything for them? And, uh, and so once that happens, then yes, we, uh, um, then, then the children become part of our program. Um, back back during the, that 10 day period back in February was it when it got real cold and snowy um, during that 10 day period I had about 15 people in the hotel and half of them were children during that span during that span but and, and the social workers at the school will call me say we got this family what do we do or do you have any housing uh, from that the police officers call the, the deputies call um, social workers, social workers from the hospital call. Um, you know, I, I got a, I got a phone call this week from Habitat for Humanity. Uh, they have a client um, who is who, for some reason, is being evicted where she's living. She's having a house built, but the house may not be ready till July. So she's going. So as of um, 
Thursday, or as of today. I got, in fact, I need, I need to make sure she got in. But um, as of today, she was going to be homeless, even though she had a house being built. Now, where in the world can you find somebody who will rent you an apartment for, you know, three months? If they do, it's going to be really, really expensive. And so she'll be in a hotel until our house gets, gets finished, is, is the plan. Yeah, there, I, <clears throat> the police called me one day a couple of years ago, and in the parking lot at Walgreens at Cool Springs, there was a family of six living in their minivan in the parking lot at Walgreens at Cool Springs. You know, so it, it happens. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. We have the wish. Yeah, our plan is we'll have a wish list, we'll have what they call an Amazon list at some point, you know, where you basically, I guess it's like a, you just, they can go to Amazon and pull up your name and it's got, you know, what, what you're asking for to go. So yeah, we're not quite there yet, uh, but yes. I personally, I was on the board for Graceworks for a while, so I love Graceworks, but I, I really, really miss our thrift store on, uh, that was on Columbia Avenue because it was right behind our neighborhood. And I could, you know, it's walking distance. So if somebody stayed in our shelter or they came by the community center to see me, if they needed anything, I just go, we'll go right up there, tell, give them my name, and they'll give you whatever you need, you know, uh, from that. So I really hate that they, that they had to uh, close down. Um, and with COVID, Graceworks is, is, is really difficult because, you know, when are they open? When are they not open? Um, it's, it's really, so we need to pray for Graceworks because it's, it's just really, really difficult. So the need is getting greater, but because of COVID, access to it is, is limited. Robert? Yes. Come on up here, Thomas. You can... So this question is really about when the when the church is open back up for shelters. What kind of what does that look like on any given? Yeah, and Thomas pastors a church in Nashville, born and raised in Franklin. He's a lifelong lifelong guy here. Good evening. Mostly we come in and we we'll get we have one guy that is set up. Then I'll stay all night if it's just me. If it's ladies, I have another lady that'll be here with me. We ask you what we use in here, what's available and what's not. I stays up all night long, I don't sleep. <laughs> I make sure they don't go no further than your exit where we are supposed to be. When we get up in the morning, we take our own beds, put them back up. We take our own cover and everything out and have them washed. That's basically what I do during the night. Now, for us, utilities like underclothes and stuff like that, after kids get through, that's probably the main thing we will need. T-shirts, socks, underclothes. 
We try to make sure they take baths every night. But if you don't have a shower, we still got a place that they can go and take showers. So basically, we'll just be in here and you open your door, tell us what you want and what you don't want. And that's the rules we go by. I'm the number one man. <laughs> so when you open the door in the morning, you'll see me, I'll still be up. <laughs> Anything else? Thank you. Well, I, I know I'm not supposed to be doing, but let me go on and let y'all know where I come from. I was born and raised on Natchez. I left Franklin when I was 17 years old. I went to Maryland County, and every day I was in Franklin. I was just in Maryland County. But when I met Pastor Kevin, he asked me would I come on board and help him. I ain't always been a good guy, but I thank God for a change. And the opportunity came that I wanted to come back home and make a difference where I live. So that's my goal, is to come and help people that can't help themselves. And for me being the person, I mean, I was well known all over Natchez, Hard Bargain, Hill Estate and everything. And people look up to me sometimes on different ideas. So I thank God for a change. Because, you know, as a young black man, I see that we need things in Franklin that they don't think we need. Most of our people are getting pushed out of Franklin and don't have nowhere to go. That's why they end up homeless. We got younger people that's homeless just well as old. And Kevin come to the realization, we don't really take people outside this county. We deal with our own people. If you go to Maryland County, at any given day, you're going to see 20 or 30 people walking them down the road that's homeless. Maryland County do not have a homeless shelter. They don't even recognize homeless people. I had a guy named Melvin, went to school with me, moved to Columbia. He stayed homeless for 25 years. And the only way he got help, he had a stroke. And they finally put him in the house. So we need help around here. And I'm willing to do what I can with Pastor Kim to try to make a difference. I thank y'all for opening up your doors to us. And if we can be any service to you, then we will. Now, my pastor is here to see Sawyer's. I was under Sawyer's for 34 years. In 1989, God called me to preach. I've been preaching and pastoring church for 14 years. I'm down in Antioch, Tennessee, in Nashville. I call it Primitive Baptist, but I'm a child of God. God bless you. Okay. To date, no, we haven't had any, um, and I think it's because, really, my rule of my, if it was my rule of thumb has been there's always at least two monitors there, a man or a man and a woman, um, especially in the churches. Um, it doesn't mean that there's not that possibility, 
uh, but to date uh, we have it. Um, when we were meeting in a warehouse and it was just men, there was um, uh, a couple times uh, the monitor called me and, and I would head down there and call the police uh, just to meet me because somebody may have been acting up a little bit, but no one's ever been arrested and that was in the warehouse. Nothing like that has happened in the, in the churches at all, but it doesn't say, doesn't mean it's not going, because there, there's no, we don't care what a person's like. I mean, so there, there, there's a good chance that there's going to be people who are drunk and people who are high who are going to come in and stay. You know, I mean, that, that's going to happen, um, but because there's no bars. If you need a place to stay, you come. It's not, well, you're too drunk, you can't come anymore. Uh, that's just not the way I think that we're supposed to do. Uh, so, so far, no. Now, part of that's because, you know, I, I think maybe one time we may have hit 20 one night. Uh, but, you, but with the numbers being smaller, you, you don't quite have those same, uh, those same things. Um, we did have a woman who had a mental episode one time during the day, and she went to the church that she was at that night. And they called me, and then we ended up having to call an ambulance and, and get her some help. Uh, but that was, uh, that was during the day from that. So, but you never know, and, and you know, you run into the situation because police, the police will call me, and uh, and then I'll call I'll call Thomas, say, hey Thomas, the police are on their way, they've got a homeless person. The police will run their name real quick, and make sure there's no outstanding warrants. But outside of that, you know, they'll bring them. And, and uh, we had one police, um, didn't the one lady, did she come from Williamson County Jail, or did she come all the way from the Murray County Jail? And the Murray County Police brought her all the way to the church at West Franklin to stay. And she, we ended up getting her in a place in Nashville. I don't know if she's still there or not, but, but uh, you know, and she still had on her prison, she still had on her, her prison issues when she got to us. Yeah, yes ma'am. No, yeah, it's affordable housing, affordable housing, workforce housing. Um, yeah, I've been involved in that from the very beginning, but they're still on the low end. A one bedroom would be about 176, 176,000. Still, yeah. See the way it works, like the government will set the standards of what's considered low income housing. So low income housing is a certain percentage of the median price or the median income in that. So as a result, you live in Fr you live in Winston County, <laughs> where the the median income is really really high then you can build quote unquote affordable housing that meets all the requirements for low income, but it's not really low income. It's really, you know, 100, 170 something thousand for 900 square foot, one bedroom uh, condominium basically is what, is what will end up. A two bedroom is still gonna be 225 to 250 even on the, the Hill Project is what, is what that's called. And please hear me, we need those houses. We need that desperately. I mean, so we got, we got to get that. But there's a whole other level below that that nobody wants to address. Yes, ma'am. No, go ahead. Follow-up question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, contact the alderman. Now, here, here's how God works. During the, during the shutdown, when the emergency management contacted me, the emergency management invited me to be on a conference call. Uh, that took place every day at 3 p.m., um, every single day. And so they wanted me to come, and, um, and it was always Winston County Homeless Alliance, even though Franklin Community Development was, was paying for everything. Um, and so every day for right at 40 days, 
I got to give a report at this conference call of how many we had in the hotel the night before, how many of them were children, da-da-da-da. And there were upwards of 90 to 100 people on that call. It was every mayor in Williamson County of all the cities, every police chief, the deputy, the, the school directors, everybody who's any, all the aldermen, all the county commissioners, everybody who's anybody in, in Williamson County was on that call. And every day for right at 40 days, they got to hear me talk about the homeless problem in Williamson County. So any elected official who tells you they don't know about the homeless problem, they're lying. Every single one of them, every single one of them know about it. You know, and then I was at a meeting and, and uh, it, was a, it was a religious meeting and Mayor Moore was there. Mayor Moore is a friend of mine, I'm sharing this. And, we, we were, and so we were praying and Mayor Moore started praying and in his prayer, he prayed for the homeless in our city. And I was like, well, that's a win. <laughs> Man, that, that's really good. You know, uh, somebody. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. You had said about the uh, trail reports on West Main. What are they planning to do? Oh, it'll be a development. Uh, this is about the trailer park here. It'll be a development. And I guarantee you, it won't be affordable housing development. No, it'll be, a, it'll be gentrification is taking place across the city. Um, it's taking place really, really quick, quick in what's called the hard bargain community. Um, uh, Natchez community is a little bit slower because at both ends of Natchez you have government housing. Um, and so I think that, that once Franklin Housing gets done remodeling all their things, it'll probably uh, take off. But the Natchez community is, and, uh, and now with our home over on um, West Mead, I've driven down some of those roads and it's, it's taking place over there also. Uh, and uh, and people are going to be people are going to be pushed out. Um, so, yes. We, and this is probably just because of the time, and we don't want to keep yeah. you all. Yeah. I can talk all night. Um, we appreciate it. The last question, which is, what does your vision look like for low-income housing? Thank you for asking that question. I, the, the the vision for me for low-income housing is nonprofits and churches have got to step up. Um, <clears throat> Churches need to help subsidize. Um, our church, and we're a small church now. We haven't met in over a year, so I don't know how many people we have. But we were, we were less than 100 people before COVID hit. And I don't think we're more than 100. <laughs> Based on the YouTube count, I don't think we're, we're, we're quite there for that. But and So before COVID, I start. Can you imagine if every church in Franklin, uh, or we'll use the county, or Middle Tennessee for that matter, but let's use the county of Franklin for an example. My vision is this, um, that a church, and, and two churches have taken me, our church does this, but additionally two other churches have taken me up on this. You know, I've, I've got a single parent. Um, she's working, you know, but a, a three-bedroom apartment is $1,800 a month. Uh, she can afford 900 So for the next year, could you, she pays 900 could the church pay 900 a month for the next year? At the end of the year, at the end of the lease, reevaluate. Maybe she can do 1,000 now, you know, or maybe she, she doesn't need any more help because she's either succeeding or failing, but you know, you, you follow me, just reevaluate. If every church in Middle Tennessee would do that, if every church in Williamson County, which there's like 200 and some odd churches in Williamson County, if every church did that, there would be, the affordable housing problem would almost be solved. And so now here's how it would work, you see. Um, <clears throat> they come to our emergency shelter. They're in our emergency shelter for, I don't know, a period of time, a couple weeks or whatever. And we've identified that this 
family or this person really has just hit on rough times, they really do with some, with some guidance and some social services, they can succeed. So then we move them into the house on Westmead where they're there for three months and we help them get a job, they're getting back on their feet. Um, and then let's say they move into our J297 program, Jeremiah 297, where we can help with rent and utilities for a year. Um, so now at the end of that year, that person has been in our program basically about 15, 16 months. Now they're ready to go out on, on their own. I got a Rolodex of 200 churches. I could call, you know, historic presence and say, hey, we got this lady or this single parent. She's, we vetted her for 15 months, right? So we know this person. She's ready to get out. He or she's ready to get out on their own. They're going to need help with eight or $900 a month over the next year. Can you help? Yes. Then Franklin Community Development or Williamson County Homeless Alliance, one of us would sign the lease. Like Franklin Community Development has lots of leases around Franklin right now. And so the lady or the single parent would pay Franklin Community Development 900 a month. The church would give Franklin Community Development 900 a month. We write a check for $1,800 to the apartment or to the landlord. Now, whether or not we have that money or not, we're going to write that $1,800 check <laughs> to the landlord. So the landlords are thrilled because they know that we're going to, we're going to pay. But there's no reason in the world why that couldn't work except we don't, we don't have the will to do that. You know, and, and we, will, we will build houses in foreign countries, but not do it here. Our church has built about a dozen homes in, in Honduras, so I believe in, in, in foreign, you know, international missions. But don't do it over there, and if you're not going to do it, do it here as well. And most churches, I think, could afford eight or $900 a month to help a family um, get back on their feet, I think. If our church of less than 100 people can do that, um, then any, any church in the county can do that. And, uh, and, and you're going to change a life by doing that. Or buy, buy homes, you know, and, and uh, the, the biggest problem with nonprofits here when it comes to housing, like Habitat for Humanity has a hard time building in Franklin because the property is so expensive. So if they could get the property bought for them, then now they can build a house, um, you know, that, that meets the affordable um, guidelines. And so, like your church or just any church, if, if there's a house, you want to buy a house, let me know. And when I find one for sale in one of these areas, don't tear it down. Let's buy it, rehab it. At the end of the day, you don't, nobody owns any money on that. So you could sell it for a first-time home buyer, or you could set the rent at whatever you wanted to. And you could rent it out for 400 a month and help a family. Does that make sense? So that, to me, that's, that's the vision uh, for that, that... And that's part of that holistic approach. So it would be really cool if after 15 months of working with a family, I got a Rolodex of 200 churches who said they're willing to help subsidize for six months or for a year or for, or for whatever, um, you know, whatever that, that may be. There was one guy who the church took. He came out of our program and then got laid off because of COVID. And, um, and a church came alongside and took me up on that offer. He paid half. They paid half for uh, right at six months. And so now he's, he's on his own and, and, and doing well. He just needed that. He's working again. COVID's over, or at least somewhat over. Two stories, if I can tell. Any other questions? And I'll close with these stories. It's kind of a good news, bad news story. But it shows the importance of what we're doing. Um, <clears throat> if he was here, he would tell this story. But the, the monitor in our, my group home, uh, the guy who's my monitor there, um, is a guy named Peter Pan. That's his nickname. Because when he was a kid, all he ate at school was Peter Pan peanut butter sandwiches. So they, they called him. 
they called him Peter Pan. Peter Pan's an army veteran. He's 60, I think he told me the other day he's 67 uh, from that. And um, Peter Pan was in bad shape five years ago. Uh, I've known Peter Pan for a long time, and, and Thomas can vouch for this. There, Peter Pan would drive, ride his bicycle everywhere. And there were times he was on his bicycle that I thought he was going to get killed. He is so drunk. He, can't, he, he should not be riding that, that bicycle. He can't even stand up. And, um, and so he found out I was having this group home, and he was one of the first persons who asked me if he could move in. And I was like, Peter Pan, I said, you've you got to get sober, you know, at least go to rehab. I mean, I, the condition that you're in right now, I, you know. And so I kept telling him no. Um, and, and the house opened up. He was like, can I come in? No. You know, he one well, wouldn't go to rehab. Okay, but then he, it wouldn't last. He was also on drugs, but alcohol is his main problem. And so finally one day, um, we've been open for a few months, and he came to me, and he said, Pastor, can I come in the house? And he caught me on a good day. I said, I said yeah, Peter Pan, I'll, I'll let you come in. And he was still drunk, but I was like, you know what, I'll let you come in. So he came and lived in the house. That following Christmas, uh, Channel 5 called me and wanted to do a story on the house and it being Christmas time, you know, one of those feel-good stories. And so a uh, reporter came out and, and Peter Payne had been in the house a few months. And so she was asking me questions. And then I had three of the guys in the house sitting there and she was asking those guys, what's it like to live in the house? And, and they got to Peter Payne and Peter Payne said, now please, this is about God, this is not me. Peter Payne said, I'm happy to be here uh, Pastor Kevin saved my life, and he never told me that. And so I was kind of like, "What?" And she said, "Well, what do you mean he saved your life?" And so Peter Pan says, "Well, I've been bugging Pastor Kevin for months to come live in the house, and he kept telling me no, because of my own problems." And I understood that. Uh, he said, "But one one day, I said I'm going to go ask Pastor Kevin one more time, and if he says no, then I want to kill myself that night." And he had a plan to kill himself. And I said, yes. And he's my monitor now. I've been there probably in the house longer than everybody but Fuzz, probably. Um, now, so I had that story. And then a couple years ago, maybe three now, uh, there was this guy on the street, um, lifelong Franklin guy, run, got in some bad times, ended up on the street. And he came and said, Pastor Kevin, you got room in your house. And I said, man, I don't right now because I can only have eight. That's a, that's a law. You can't have more than eight in a group home. And I had eight. So I don't have any room. I don't have any room for you. Just keep checking back. And then this guy was in his 60s also. And he said, okay, Pastor. Within a week, he hung himself from a tree in a yard on Nancy Street. This is life or death. Getting people housing is life or death, regardless of the reason they're homeless. If we don't get them housed, um, it's a difference between life and death for a lot of people. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. The Tennessee Holler provides relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at www.tnholler.com.
Hey everyone, I apologize for not uh, having a podcast in, in a few weeks now, but things have been just incredibly busy here, as I'm sure it has been for everyone. One of the reasons it's been so busy is because uh, four years ago, I got involved in a project called The Fuller Story. Uh, in my uh, hometown of Franklin, Tennessee, there's a Confederate monument uh, in the middle of the downtown square, and uh, three pastors, three good friends of mine, and a historian, actually two pastors, Myself, uh, Chris Williamson of Strong Tower Bible Church, and Hewitt Sawyers of West Harpeth Primitive Baptist, and then a historian by the name of Eric Jacobson. We got together to try to uh, come up with a way to contextualize uh, the monument and add to the story and really look at um, the Civil War through the eyes of the African American. As a result of that, we put up five markers around downtown uh, Franklin um, two years ago that, that gave elements of the story. Uh, where the monu- where the Confederate monument actually stands was an old courthouse. Beside the courthouse was a market house where men, women, and children were sold like cattle, along with cattle. So there's a marker about that. There's a marker about um, some things that happened during Reconstruction, some positive things, some uh, key African-American families in our city. There's five markers total, and then there's one marker that's to the United States Colored Troop uh, soldiers. Think of the movie Glory, and that's what we're talking about. Well, this past Saturday, October 23rd, after four years, we unveiled a statue to the United States Colored Troops. It's a statue of a soldier. He's got his foot on a stump. He's holding a rifle. Uh, The USCT guys were part of the United States Army and Navy. They fought for their freedom and for our freedom as well, and they have not been recognized. There are less than 10 of these type of statues in the whole country. There are over 700 statues to the Confederacy less than 10 to the United States Color Troop, and we're the only city in the United States that has a statue of a United States Color Troop soldier in our downtown. So last Saturday was a historic event. And so what I'm going to do, this is a two-part podcast, and they're both very long, is there were two main events leading up to Saturday. Um, One was on Thursday night, which would have been, uh, I think, what is that, the 21st of October? where myself, uh, the other gentleman, and the sculptor, Joe Frank Howard, had a panel where people asked us questions, and we got to tell our experience with the Fuller story. And uh, that was almost two hours long. And then on Saturday, our city gathered around um, in the square, tons of people. I don't even want to guess how many. And we had an unveiling ceremony where we all got to speak, uh, plus some other people. And there's some music, and it is about an hour and a half long. And so this is part one. This is the panel discussion of myself, Pastor Chris Williamson, Pastor Hewitt Sawyers, historian Eric Jacobson, and then the sculptor uh, John uh, or Joe Howard. And uh, Brooke Wasner, a uh, reporter from our local newspaper, is asking the questions. So I hope you enjoy.